0: Let's turn in our Bibles, if you would, to Psalm 140 this evening, Psalm 140. I was trying to remember when we started this study in the book of Psalms, 10 years ago, I think. We've had a few breaks in between. We haven't been going straight, but uh, yeah, it's been a long time. And, And the end is in sight. We're almost there maybe we'll start over after we get to the get to the end psalm 140 tonight this particular psalm it's believed that perhaps it was penned by David at the time when king Saul and Doeg the Edomite conspired to hunt him down and bring him to destruction we know it was written at a time when David was facing a great Calamity in his life when he had some enemy that was trying to destroy him. And what we'll find as we read Psalm 140 is that this is an eloquent description of the sentiment of a believer during a time of intense persecution. You do understand tonight that there are many of our brothers and sisters in Christ who are under intense persecution. We may not sense that or feel that in our lives right now, in our position. But all around this world, there are people who are crying out for justice to the God of heaven. And surely God will bring about justice in this world. That's the theme of this particular psalm. I've titled the message tonight, Preserve Me, Lord. And you'll see that that comes from verse 1. Psalm 140, verse 1, the scripture says, Deliver me, O Lord, from the evil man. Preserve me from the violent man which imagine mischiefs in their heart. Continually are they gathered together for war. They have sharpened their tongues like a serpent. Adder's poison is under their lips, Selah. Keep me, O Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Preserve me from the violent man who have purposed to overthrow my goings. The proud have hid a snare for me and cords. They have spread a net by the wayside. They have set gins for me, Selah. I said unto the Lord, Thou art my God. Hear the voice of my supplications, O Lord. O God, the Lord, the strength of my salvation, Thou hast covered my head in the day of battle. Grant not, O Lord, the desires of the wicked. Further not his wicked device, lest they exalt themselves, Selah. As for the head of those that compass me about, Let the mischief of their own lips cover them. Let burning coals fall upon them. Let them be cast into the fire, into deep pits that they rise not up again. Let not an evil speaker be established in the earth. Evil shall hunt the violent man to overthrow him. I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and the right of the poor. Surely the righteous shall give thanks unto thy name, the upright shall dwell in thy presence. Tonight, we've broken the psalm down for the purpose of our study into five sections. And you'll see that for the most part, those sections are noted by the ending with the word silah, which is a musical pause in the book of Psalms. It's not only musical, but it's also intended to be for contemplation and meditation. It is for reflection upon that which was just stated. We'll notice in the first three verses that the psalmist is crying out for deliverance. And he is addressing the Lord and he says to him in verse 1, Deliver me, O Lord, from the evil man. Preserve me from the violent man. All throughout this psalm, he speaks about a man who is evil, a man who is violent, a man who is wicked, and clearly a man who has designed to bring harm and hurt into his life. He's talking to the Lord about an enemy that he has. Now in our world, we're daily barraged with this philosophy that man is at his heart and at his core good. And there really are just not any bad people in this world. I mean, if we could just educate people and we could help them to have a better economic situation, then evil would surely go away. But of course, this is Completely contrary, this philosophy, to what the Bible says. Because the man that's described in Psalm 140, this evil, wicked, and violent man, is who man apart from God is. All of us, without the influence of God in our life, are this kind of a man. Evil, wicked, and violent. The truth is tonight that there really are people who are evil and violent in the world and we encounter them more often than we would like to admit. Now this doesn't mean that every person that we meet is as evil as they could be. Praise the Lord for that. Imagine what the world would be like if that was the case. But it also reminds us That we shouldn't be surprised when we encounter evil in this world. Sometimes when I talk with people, it's like they're surprised that people would be evil or that people would do wicked things. That's because of the presence of sin in the heart of man. So here the psalmist is pointing out that there is an evil and a violent man. And there's a need for the man of God, for David to be delivered. He's looking at this evil, violent, wicked man and what he wants to do and he's crying out to God. Now you would say, why would this man, this evil, violent man have designs to harm the man of God? Well, usually it's because of this. It's because this evil man hates God, but it's impossible to get at God. And so instead, these evil Wicked and violent men decide they will get at the people who love God. We can't get at God, so we'll get at the people who say they love God. And this is exactly what David was experiencing. These individuals were taking out their hatred on David, on the the man of God, because they couldn't get at God himself. Obviously, the motivation for this hatred is demonic. Demonic. It comes from the God of this world, the the one, the evil one who's working even now in the world all around us. And here the psalmist is crying out and saying, deliver me, deliver me. Now this idea of deliverance and preservation means that he's recognizing and realizing that he's hopeless and helpless without the intervention of God. He's not in a place where he can defend himself. You might be reminded tonight that David if indeed that was at the time that Saul and Doeg were pursuing after him, David was a mighty man of valor. He was a man of warfare. He was a man who was accomplished with the sword, but he had come to a place where he recognized that he was powerless to deliver himself. And so he was crying out to the Lord for deliverance. Now, what what was he wanting to be delivered from? Well, in verses 2 and 3, the description is found about these evil men and what they were doing, what they designed to do against the man of God. First of all, it says they imagine mischiefs in their heart. It's a descriptive phrase. It means that in their heart, they're always thinking about and meditating on and cogitating upon ways to bring hurt and evil upon the people of God. The idle moments of this wicked and evil man is given over to find new ways to pursue wickedness. You say, how do people come up with some of the stuff that they end up doing? Well, they sit around and imagine mischiefs, that's how. They they are imagining new ways to come up with evil. Have you not noticed that in the news cycle, the things that are talked about seem to be getting more and more and more depraved? To where you think... What is going on? Well, what is going on is that people are imagining mischief in their heart. Not only that, he says in verse number two, continually are they gathered together for war. They're calling themselves together for a council of war. But who is it that they're fighting against? Who is the war declared upon? Well, ultimately their war is against the rule of Jehovah. They don't want Jehovah's rule or authority over them. They want to do their own thing. They want to live their own life. They hate the authority of God and they're banding together, doing anything possible to overthrow God's authority in their life. This is a vivid description of our world today. In verse 3, they've sharpened their tongues like a serpent. One of the chief methods of war that they use is the use of their words. And the picture that the psalmist paints for us here is of a beautiful serpent. It's beautiful to look at. In fact, you might be drawn to it, to, to, to gaze upon it, but be careful that you don't get too close because just like that, a serpent can strike and its poison can be left in you. They're unpredictable. And just like that, these individuals may seem as if they're harmless. It, it seems as if, well, they're, they're nice people. They seem to have good intentions. Be careful. Because they strike with their words. Unless you think that words are harmless, remember that some of the deepest wounds any man will bear will be words or wounds that were inflicted with words. Wounds inflicted with words can last for years, even an an entire lifetime. The words that are spoken of here are not just words that are directed against the man of God, but they're words that are directed about the man of God. And clearly the goal is to tear down God's man. It goes on in verse 3 and says, Adders poison. ...is under their lips. It's descriptive or or it reminds us of the passage in Romans chapter 3... ...speaking about the wickedness of man and man's sin. And one of the things that God keys in on over and over and over again... ...is that men's mouths, their tongues, the words that they use... ...are filled with poison. An adder is a very poisonous snake. And to have adder's poison under your lips... Is a vivid picture that they have these words that can cause rottenness to bloom and cause a great destruction in the world around them. And now the man of God is recognizing that he's the target of their venom and of their hatred, and he's crying out and saying, Lord, please deliver me. Which brings us now to verse four. And in verses four and five, he follows up the cry for deliverance with his longing for safety. He wants to be in a safe place. And so he says this in verse 4 Keep me, O Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Preserve me from the violent man who have purposed to overthrow my goings. Now there's a reminder for us in verse number 4 that the only safe place for the child of God is in the presence of the Lord. That's where safety is. Remember and never forget safety is of the Lord. Oftentimes, we're thinking, now, how can I get myself into a nice, safe place, a nice, you know, there's lots of talking today about safe spaces, and uh, I want to get in the safe place. I want to get in a place where I'm protected, where I'm, where I'm uh, shielded from the attack that could come upon me. That is in the presence of the Lord. Amen. The intention of this evil, violent man is so intense and so powerful that there is no place of deliverance apart from God himself. And the psalmist recognizes that God is his only hope, that God is his only help. And so he makes a petition to the Lord. He cries out to the Lord in verse 4 and he says, Keep me. Keep me, O Lord. The man of God is asking the Lord, in this sense, the word keep, to make him circumspect. That's how the word keep is being used here in verse 4. The idea of being circumspect means that as you're walking, you're being careful and you can see the danger and you can walk around it and avoid the danger. He's saying, Lord, I need your wisdom to know where these evil men are laying wait for me. I need to be able to see the place where they're setting a trap. Please keep me. Give me wisdom to know where the trap is laid. You do understand and realize that as we proceed further in this evil age, it's very likely that we'll see more traps laid for the people of God. This is not a new thing. If you look back on the history of the people of God, you will find that they were frequently trying to be trapped. We know that even the Pharisees and the Sadducees, this is exactly how they handled Jesus, They were always trying to trap him in his words. They were always trying to trip him up and trick him into saying something that they could say, aha, we've got you at last. Of course, they never could catch him, so they finally had to bring false witnesses in order to bring him to the place of trial. The psalmist is crying out, and he says, Lord, keep me. He also prays in verse 4, preserve me. Preserve me from the violent man who have purpose to overthrow my goings. The word preserve means this. He needs the Lord to be his watchman. He needs the Lord to be a guard over him in the way, lest he would be overtaken by this individual that he describes as the violent man. This violent man has purpose to overthrow his goings. For some reason, there's an evil delight in wicked people, When they can see a Christian tripped up, when they can see them falter and fail and stumble, it's no mystery. If you work around people who don't know the Lord, they, for some reason, often delight to see Christians stumble and fall. They love to accuse. They love to point out failure and fault in the life of the believer This is not a new thing and it's not a strange thing. And the psalmist says, Lord, they've purposed to overthrow my goings. They're trying to keep me from walking in the way that I ought to walk. Now the plan of the wicked then is described in verse 5 as he speaks about the intention of this wicked man who have purposed to overthrow my goings. This is that idea that I was just describing to you. This this is the kind of man that loves to cast other people down. He loves to bring people to a place of destruction, to to tear them down and to cause them to fail in their endeavors, particularly in any righteous endeavor. And his way of doing this in verse 5 is a threefold way. First of all, he hides a snare with cords. Second of all, he spreads a net And third of all, he sets gins. Think about this real quickly with me, a snare. We know what a snare is. It's a type of trap that is generally used for small animals. And the idea of a snare is that it's set along a path where the animal will walk. And when the animal is walking in that way, it doesn't notice and it gets caught in the snare. And the harder it pulls against the snare... The, the tighter the snare gets, it's a noose, it's, that's the, the, the style of a trap that it is, but it's a hidden snare. There are many snares that are hidden in the world for the child of God. And certainly we know the enemy of our souls is looking to snare us. And the psalmist is saying, Lord, keep me and preserve me. Not only this, the snares and the cords, but there's a net that's spread by the wayside. And the net, which is spread by the wayside, is there if the, if the man of God happens to get off the path a little bit, stops walking in the way of the Lord, and aha, there's a net to catch them, and now they can't get away. And the psalmist is feeling like he's hemmed in. Third of all, there's gins that are set, and gins, again, speak about snares or a trap that is set with the intention of tricking or tripping up the man of God. And so the psalmist is recognizing, look, everywhere around me there's dangers and there's threats. Now, I want you to just pause for a minute because here we come to this word, Selah, and we're reminded to stop and think. And I want you to be reminded this evening that we have an enemy. The devil is walking about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. We do have an enemy of our souls who would like to cast us down. There is a, a, an evil force that is working in this world that would like to trip us up. And lest you think that this world is a safe place, I want to remind you that this is not the resting place. This world is indeed a place of danger. We're on a battlefield. we got to be tuned into that reality. But then we can also receive consolation as we remember and are reminded tonight that in the presence of the Lord, even in this evil world, there is safety. And the psalmist says this, keep me, preserve me. Then in verses 6 and 7, he expresses his confidence in his supplication. In verse 6, the psalmist Describes it this way, I said unto the Lord, Thou art my God. Hear the voice of my supplications, O Lord. Think about this. First of all, he describes his relationship. What is it that's going to keep us safe in this evil world, in this world of danger? It's our relationship with God. And he says it very plainly and eloquently here in verse 6, Thou art my God. There's something special when you know God personally, when he is your God. And while it's alarming to think about those who would seek to overthrow the people of God and those who are trying to trap and the enemy of our souls, and we realize we live in a dangerous world, a spiritually dangerous world, there is a great consolation in remembering that he is our God. And he knows exactly what is going on. His relationship is described. I hope tonight that he is your God. You know, it's a sad thing to have to ask someone else to pray for you because he's not your God. But what a wonderful thing to be able to come to him and express, you're my God. And I can come to you with my need. As he was burdened to come to God, then in verse 6, his supplication is presented. He says this, hear the voice of my supplications, O Lord. There's something about when we pray out loud that is different than when we pray silently. Uh, And obviously, it doesn't make a difference to God. He can hear us silently or out loud. He knows exactly what we're saying. But there's something that happens to us when we pray out loud. Perhaps it has something to do with the fact that we are more focused in our prayer, that we are more intentional in our prayer. That that we're more careful to speak scripturally to God in our prayer. But notice that he says he is crying out with his voice. Hear the voice of my supplications, O Lord. And of course we're reminded there that the name of God is Jehovah. He's the one who is not overwhelmed by the troubles that we face. The psalmist knows very well that the God he is speaking to is capable of dealing with his situation with the burden that he's presenting. His confidence is expressed in verse 7. He says, O God, the Lord, the strength of my salvation. What an eloquent way to address God. As he's reminded that God is capable. God is strong. God is the one who has provided salvation to him in the first place. So I want to remind you tonight, if you can trust God with your eternal soul, you can trust him to preserve your life and your body as well. You can have confidence in him to give you safety in this world if you've entrusted your soul to him for all of eternity. And the psalmist comes to God with great confidence and he says, God, you are the Lord, you are the strength of my salvation. What a wonderful realization that our salvation is not found in our own righteousness. Our salvation is not found in our own attainments, in our own Uh, good works, but rather our righteousness is found in the one who is the strength of our salvation. He is the strength of our salvation. Then fourth of all, his desperation is revealed in verse 7 and in verse 8. He says, "'Thou hast covered my head in the day of battle.'" Obviously, the psalmist had experienced God's deliverance before. He had seen God work. When he speaks about his head being covered in a day of battle... In a time of primitive warfare, having your head covered was especially important to shield you from the missiles that the enemy would send, the arrows and the rocks and those sorts of things. The head needed to be covered, but the picture is of God himself covering the head of this man, and he is keeping him safe. And so now he says in verse 8, Grant not, O Lord, the desires of the wicked. He's recognizing that the wicked man has a design. He's got a desire. The wicked man wants to bring destruction into his life. And he says, God, don't grant him those desires. Further not his wicked device, lest they exalt themselves. He's realizing that against this enemy that he has, he's helpless And he needs God to frustrate the intentions of his enemy. You know God can do that, don't you? God can frustrate the enemy. I'm reminded of how Job... We're introduced to Job in the first couple chapters of the book of Job. And Satan comes before God. and, And they're having this conversation about Job. And Job asks for permission to have access, to tempt Job. And God gives him that permission. And in all of this, you see that the devil is thinking, I'm going to trip him up. I'm really going to get my way with him. But then all through the book, you find that God frustrates the design and the desire of the devil against Job. And in the end, Job is blessed more than in the beginning. Because... He stays faithful to God. Over and over and over again, we find that the devil is trying to do something in this world. He's trying to work against the people of God and against God himself. But what we find is that God prevails. And so the psalmist says, Lord, I'm completely dependent upon you. I'm desperate for your strength. I need you to frustrate the desires of the wicked. Don't let them have their way. Don't allow them to further their wicked devices. Why? Because they're going to exalt themselves. And he's, the, the implication is that the psalmist wants God to be exalted. He doesn't want the wicked exalting themselves, isn't it? Something how wicked people, when they get away with their sin, they want to walk around like, hey, look at us, we got away with it. Where's God, this God that you talk about? Oh, he's there. The day's coming. And that brings us then to verse 9. And in verse 9 through 11, we find the psalmist praying for justice. Now, this section 9, 10, and 11 is an imprecatory prayer. This is an unusual kind of a prayer. Clearly, the psalmist is crying out for the wicked man to get a taste of his own poison. The psalmist is praying that God would lower the boom of judgment upon this wicked man and that God would stop him in his tracks. I do want to point out before we dig into this section that the psalmist in this case is completely dependent upon the Lord to bring justice. He is not trying to bring justice himself. He's not taking matters into his own hands. He's not trying to bring vengeance himself upon the wicked man. He's putting this in the hands of the Lord and he's trusting God to take care of it. We can do this, by the way. There is a place and a time for us as God's people to pray imprecatory prayers, to pray that God would bring judgment upon those who are wicked and evil so that evil could be halted, so that righteousness could be advanced so that the, the gospel of Jesus Christ could be spread, so that more people could hear the truth, it's entirely appropriate for us to pray in this, matter at, or in this manner at times. Now notice how he prays in this imprecatory way in verse 10. He says, let burning coals fall upon them. I don't know if you've ever touched a burning coal. It hurts. He's wanting these burning coals to fall Upon, the idea is being heaped upon the head of this wicked man. These burning coals are representative of judgment. This is the justice of God being served. And the psalmist is crying out, Lord, bring judgment about in this world. Bring judgment upon these wicked men. He goes on in verse 10. Let them be cast into the fire, into deep pits that they rise not up again. The picture seems to be clear. He's praying for God to cast this wicked man into hell. He wants this wicked man to face the judgment of God. He's saying, I have no deliverance. I have no hope and no help. God, you've got to take care of this. And he asks for this man to be cast into the place of judgment. He goes on in verse number 11. He says, let not an evil speaker be established in the earth. And the idea here is that He wants God to make them unable to find a place of establishing. He doesn't want them to be able to find a place where they can stand upright. He wants them to have instability. He doesn't want them to be able to continue with their evil pursuits. This is a biblical, true way for us to pray for evil men to be dealt with in this world. Do you know there are wicked men in this world who are trying to take advantage of of innocent poor people all around them. And it's entirely appropriate for us to ask God to not allow them to be established in the earth, for God to cut them off, for God to cut them short from their evil design and desire. Finally, he says in verse 11, evil shall hunt the violent man to overthrow him. It's the very same word that is used in verse number four when he cried out to God and asked God to preserve him from the violent man who have purposed to overthrow my goings. Now he's praying that the violent man would face a taste of his own medicine. He's asking for God to allow this violent man to face the thing that he has been putting upon other people. He says, God, I need you to overthrow him so that this evil. When he speaks about evil here, he's talking about calamity or trouble, difficulty coming into this person's life. So he's praying in an imprecatory way and saying, God, would you trouble him? Would you keep him from being able to pursue the goal that he has of bringing destruction in my life? So he's praying for justice. He's praying that God would bring this justice about in his life and in the world. Then we come to verses 12 and 13. It's the fifth section in Psalm 140, and here the psalmist expresses his assurance. He has an assurance that he's operating upon. It's noted by the first two words of verse 12 when he says, I know. Now there are some things that as God's people we know. We know. One of the things we know is that we have a home in heaven. That's a wonderful knowledge. We also know that this world is not permanent for us. And that's a wonderful thing to be reminded of, to to realize. We also know that all things work together for good to them that love God. So no matter what happens to us, no matter what kind of things may happen at the hands of evil men, what kind of calamity or difficulty we might face, whatever happens, I know That all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are the called according to his purpose. It's good to know some things. You know, it's also good to know that judgment is coming. It's good to know that evil men will not be let off. It's good to know that there is a God in heaven who is a righteous judge who will level the boom of judgment and he is going to hold men accountable for what they have done. It's good to know that. When we look at the world, there's a lot of things that are confusing, but the things that we know clear up the confusion. Now, what is it that he knows in verse 12? Well, he says this, I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and the right of the poor. The man who picks on the afflicted and poor person is asking God for a fight. He's asking for God to take notice of him and bring him to judgment. And the psalmist says, I know this, Lord. There are some things that are going on. There are some evil and wicked men, but I know this, Lord. You will maintain the cause of the afflicted. You will hold up the right of the poor. Praise God for that. There will be righteousness served in this world. There will be justice served one day. We can be thankful for that. This is what the Lord cares about. The Lord cares about the cause of the afflicted and he cares about the right of the poor. Could I propose to you tonight that perhaps since he cares about it, we should care about it? That we should care about those who are afflicted? That we should care about those who are downtrodden and those who are poor, those who are struggling in this world, that they should be on our heart? If God cares about it, I think it's right for us to care about it. This is what the Lord cares about. And what does the righteous, this righteous man, the psalmist, what does he anticipate? Well, verse 13, he says, Surely the righteous shall give thanks unto thy name. The upright shall dwell in thy presence. This is what he anticipates. One day the righteous will give thanks unto the name of God you know, here's something for us to know and to to build our lives upon. No matter what happens in this life, one day we will look back on it and we will give thanks unto the name of the Lord. We talked about Thanksgiving a little bit last week. Of course, it was a week of remembrance and Thanking God for His goodness in our lives. But think about this with me. As you think about thanksgiving and you think about our obligation to give thanks, there are many things that happen to us in this life and many things that we observe in this world that it is hard to give thanks for. But one day we'll be able to look on that from a different perspective and we'll be able to give thanks unto the name of the Lord. We have that assurance. Not only does He anticipate the righteous shall give thanks unto the name of God but also he anticipates the upright shall dwell in thy presence. The time is coming when those who are the people of God, those who are, who are the loved of God, those who love God, are going to dwell in the presence of God. And I'm suggesting to you that the presence of God is very different than what we're facing in this world. When he sets everything right, when righteousness is established here on this earth, when Jesus rules and reigns, what a joy it will be to dwell in his presence. But we don't, all, we don't only dwell in the presence of God in eternity. We dwell in the presence of God in the nasty now and now, right here in this world that is filled with evil and wickedness, injustice, all kinds of abusive behavior that is going on right here in this place. We can dwell in the presence of the Lord. We can have great consolation that deliverance will be ours, that God will enact justice, that one day all will be set right. And we can cry out to God with anticipation and, yes, even with confidence when we ask him to deliver us and to preserve us from the evil And violent man. Yes, there is wickedness in this world. The wickedness that is in this world is very deep and it's very dark. That's the heinousness of sin. But be reminded tonight that our God will be victorious. And we can thrive even in this world. And yes, though we may face some difficulties, we can have the confidence of deliverance. Deliverance by the strong hand of our God, the one who is the strength of our salvation. Tonight, if you're facing some troubles, cry out to the Lord. He's the one who can preserve you. Maybe you know someone else who's facing some difficulty, maybe even some mistreatment at the hands of another. You can cry out to the Lord for them and ask God to preserve them. You can pray in this manner that we see in Psalm 140, and God will be pleased to work and to move on the behalf of his people, because he is a deliverer.